So we've got to this stage in the series of Rocket Fuel without talking about video games and gaming, which for a podcast devoted to youth culture and youth marketing, frankly, feels like a bit of an oversight. So I wanted to find somebody from that space. Hello, I'm James Erskine. I work for Rocket and I'm the presenter of the Rocket Fuel podcast. And this is an interview we recorded a couple of weeks ago. Now, Bandai Namco are famous for huge titles like Tekken, Pac-Man, Dark Souls, Little Nightmares. And we wanted to speak to their PR and marketing director. We spoke with Lee Curtin for around an hour. We found out about his history in the video game space and his love of Bandai Namco and everything that went into it. We also learned a little bit about the Bandai Namco business model. And then finally, we asked Lee Curtin, the marketing and PR director of Bandai Namco Entertainment UK and Ireland, for his rocket fuel. First thing, Lee Curtin, Marketing and PR Director of Bandai Namco UK and Ireland. Thank you so much for being this week's guest on Rocket Fuel. You're very welcome. It's good to be here, remotely. <laughs> remotely, indeed. We're talking in about week eight of the UK lockdown. So we'll come on to chat more about lockdown in a second. But Lee, first section of our chat is all about the audience and me getting to know you. Tell us about your professional journey. Where have you been and how have you ended up where you are now? Um, so if we if we're, well, we're talking about sort of the interactive entertainment industry as such, I, I, I started um, in June 1997, which is 22 years, well, 23 years ago, yeah, um, at a company called GT Interactive. And GT Interactive were, at the time, the kind of the biggest video game publisher, um, which was responsible for kind of really big hit titles at the time. You know, everything from the sort of Doom games to the Unreal games to the Abe's Odysseys and Drivers and um, uh, huge, huge major releases under various studios. Um, and for me, it was a, a kind of a, a dream opportunity because um, growing up, I was very much into film and games. And ultimately, at the beginning, I was very keen on working in the film industry. And my prior experience to that when I was uh, 20 years old was completely different. It was everything from working in catering to, you know, apprentice chefing and, but media was where I really wanted to work and film and games was the kind of area that I wanted to get into, especially with my kind of, you know, spending hours and hours at home trying to learn how to code and playing games and basically being the biggest kid geek out there, like most kids in the eighties and nineties. Um, so you thing. were a, a huge gamer growing up, were you? Lee? Oh, what were your favourite games? So. Very much so. I mean, I, I had I had pretty much everything. I mean, my first console that I ever had was a Binatone machine, which my granddad had, which was a simple kind of, you know, uh, sort of Atari-like bat and ball, tennis, badminton kind of games. And and then I started off with the very early CPCs and all of the consoles. My, my fondest memories were really spending a lot of time with the Commodore 64 and the Amstrad 
CPC 464. So I spent an awful lot of time on those praying for games to load because they were all obviously <laughs> tech based and copying out text from magazines and creating as much new code I possibly could to try and create my own games. And, you know, I'm certainly not a, a major analytical person in that sense, but I had a very, very much a strong interest in in technology graphics and you know seeing these games kind of come to life i was always wowed out by everything everything to do with computers so you've kind of reached the dream job you've kind of reached the pinnacle now is that fair to say yeah i kind of i've I've definitely had a different career to most in the sense that i i kind of started very much at the bottom sort of doing customer services back in the days at gt interactives and even sort of sort of front desk kind of reception role but from picking up the phone to richard branson who would call to sort of speak to the chairman Frank it's definitely somebody I I, I held in, in in high regards and gave me a, a big opportunity in the industry but in, my career was very much not based on my education it was very much my foot in the door and working extremely hard with extremely long hours and battling through the you know the the, the systems in those days which were you know people with you know huge egos and and also it was a very challenge you really had to work hard to kind of climb various ladders but I I I sort of paved out a a path of what I saw which was something that I was really interested in that was being as close to the studios making the games as possible so I kind of chose a route in in PR to begin with and was given some some incredible opportunities and then started working on some some of the biggest games in historically um, from the likes of Abe's Odyssey and Driver and uh, the Matrix franchise, and then worked my way through sort of GT Interactive, and that company then got purchased by Infograms, which was a French powerhouse in video games um, development and publishing, which then purchased Hasbro Interactive, that then became Atari. So I ended up becoming part of Atari for best part of 12 13 years and during my time at atari we distributed bandai namco games or namco bandai games as they were seen then or namco games or bandai yep. games and then um ultimately bandai namco purchased atari's distribution network and then we became a fully fledged bandai namco company and that's where i've remained so effectively i've been with the same company for 20 almost 23 years Wow. You must have seen some changes, right? Huge changes. And, and we'll come on to that a bit more in kind of the, the industry and the, and, and the games industry. But in terms of the personnel involved and the development of games, I mean, you must look at some of the games that you were playing as a kid and even some of the games that you were marketing 15, 20 years ago and just think it's it's a different industry. Yeah, the industry has changed a lot. Um, very, very much so. A lot of that is down to, you know, the technology in the, the the kind of outer space in the sense, you know, with social media and 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 um, how the youth of today are very, I would say, very different to how the the youth was um, when I was a kid um, because of you know the opportunities you have at your fingertips now, which you didn't have back then. But in terms of technology, it's changed dramatically. I, you know, I look at a game like Unreal, which I remember seeing and being presented to the first time. And that was the first game to use the Unreal Engine. And then you see what Fortnite is today and what Epic are 
um, developing with the new Unreal 5 technology and the new showcase uh, tech demo they did with PlayStation 5. And if you look at Unreal back in, you know, 1997 or whatever it was, and you look at what's being developed by Epic now and the Unreal Engine, it's it's light years apart from each other. So from a technology perspective, um, technology just it just travel it just grows so fast and engines are just becoming so incredible um that you have to be you know you have to be ahead of the game um but yeah but in terms of the industry it's changed a lot as well it's a lot less brutal i would say but at the same time it's still a challenging place to be but a lot more opportunities for people now to enter it where before it was probably quite a challenge to become to come within the industry or become part of the industry Lee, you've your marketing and PR director over UK and Ireland. How many people do you manage, and what sort of a manager are you? So I, it's it's, it's so I, I manage around about um, directly six people directly report to me. Um, I like to be. I'm very much a hands-on person, so my role is in two parts. So I've got the the sort of communications and marketing director role, and then this other kind of role that was awarded to me a few years ago as a sub chief Patman officer for EMEA. So it kind of allows me to sort of um, look over Patman as a IP and a, uh, as our important, most important character and make sure the character is being treated with respect, especially now with this Friday being Patman's 40th anniversary. So there's kind of two two sort of arms to my role but my main day-to-day job is managing a team of six PR in a communications events and marketing team but then I've always been pretty um, creative and innovative in my own imagination so I've also got involved in some producing in the past and even created some products um, from birth to to market now um Patman stories on Alexa and a driving theory training exam on Nintendo DS 15 or so years ago so I've been able to kind of utilize my passion and love for creating in the strategies I work on in from a PR perspective because you can create good ideas that turn into to fun things and also create products Obviously, I don't sit there making them. I need to bring in the, te- the right teams and the right passionate people to make my mind a reality. Um, but I've been lucky enough to have some of those projects come to light, which has been great. But day to day, six people I manage. And the kind of manager I am is I like, obviously, I'm a taskmaster in the sense that I'm very much um, supportive, especially of younger people where I've worked with some really incredible young people who have that same mindset I had when I joined in when I was 20 years old or 19 years old so I'm very much a kind of person that sort of wants to work as closely as I can with them but and but tries to step back as well allowing them to to carry out their roles and be creative in their own in their own way Um, but at the same time I'm very hands-on so sometimes I could make their job a bit easier for them in that sense but um, supportive I'd like to say but you know a good job's got to be done as well. <laughs> so, Lee, let's ju- let's also focus on a question on you and what what moves you forward in terms of professionally. In yep. terms of your team, 
is there a commonality of behaviours or a certain kind of person that you like working with? Or do you think it takes all, all different kinds of people? It takes all different kinds of people because everybody is different. And, uh, you know, and that's that's the thing. The biggest issue for me was always believing that everybody was the same as me or had the same feelings as I do or had the same get up and go attitudes as me. Um, and, you know, in some cases, you know, across the whole industry, that's not the case. Everybody is their own and everybody has their own ways of working. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's a challenging question because everybody's different. And, yeah. you know, in the end, everybody, you know, you can't do, you can't make a game, you can't publish a game, you can't distribute a game to sales and sell a game without a huge team of people from the developers to, you know, the back end that people, you know, pe the back end people that people that people don't really know about or they don't get the limelight as much as, you know, the social media people do. Um, everybody contributes something towards the launch of a successful game. And, you know, in the end, you've got to have creative people to be able to excite other people to into, you know, buying your game. And are you any good at switching off, Sleep? No. <laughs> that seems to be a common trait with these yeah, interviews. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 impossible with some people, and I'm one of those pe one of those people. I mean, some people can't switch off. Um, you know, I've been told to switch off many a times, but I just don't. <laughs> even when I'm on holiday, um, I'll nip out and you know check something and make sure something's being done. And it, that's purely because. When when I go about doing something, I want it to be done to you know done to a certain way or done to a certain level or make sure it's 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 done right and also the results are important. Um, so yeah, I, I find it very 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 hard to switch off. Very hard. <laughs> and final question in this bit, just so that we can get to know you, what do you think you're known for? What are the qualities that you bring to work? Uh, are you talking about internally or across the industry? Oh, let's go with both. I'm keen to hear. What do you think well, you're known for across the industry first? It's <laughs> um, a good question. I mean, I'm a, I'm a relatable person. I'm a people person. Um, I am very creative in the sense that I will approach people and find a, find a reason for them to do something Um that we're working on and I will be very passionate about that and very honest about it. So I, I bring a level of honesty without all the corporate talk to, to a degree. Yeah. Because I'm less corporate and more creative because I care about what I'm doing. Um, I also, I, of course I care about the business and, you know, our objectives and our results, which are very important. But my main focus is the products. The product is what I care about. The games are what I care about. They're what I've cared about since I was old enough to um, to play a game or mm. see a game. So, you know, it, for me, I, I think most people would say that I'm, you know, I'm a great social person. I like being with people. That's why being on lockdown at the moment is quite tough. Yeah. Because video calling people 100 times a day is, is fine. But it's no way as good as being with people, discussing uh, opportunities, coming up with ideas, 
um, not brainstorming with big white boards and blue sky thinking and using ridiculous marketing buzzwords, but make really just kind of saying, look, this is what we want to do and bringing great minds together to come up with great ideas. My view is always to be the first. So any idea we, that I've worked on, whether it was putting together an innovative event or a particular stunt or something, it has to be something that's not been done before in that way. Um, even from the simple, we want to use a venue to host a first look of a big game. I don't want that venue to be a venue that's been used before by another games company. I yeah, don't yeah. want to, in my mind, I don't want to tick boxes that, that other companies have ticked in the past. Sure. Um, I want to be the first in that sense. So I think within the industry, it'd be, you know, quite creative and innovative and, and also a pers personable person internally. Um, hopefully I would be seen the same way, to be honest. Um, and um, yeah, that's it really. I hope that's, that's, the, that's what people would say anyway. <laughs> so I'm still here with Lee Curtin. He's marketing and PR director at Bandai Namco in the UK and Ireland. And the second section of the chat is we want to get stuck into your work, Lee. Uh, we want to get stuck into the business and also the wider games industry. Why don't we start with more of a helicopter view, first of all, and look at the wider industry. Is there a bit of you that rolls your eyes at video games are getting big now because i mean you've kind of followed the trajectory from and they've been big for a pretty long time right i mean in terms of sales and and sure. their relationship with perhaps mediums that often get more coverage like movies yeah um yeah of course there's there's parts that roll my eyes i mean you know the the, the, the world has changed in in, in so much way Sometimes I'd like, well, not sometimes, I'd like to see more creators getting more visibility. Um, as much as the film industry has become over the years, I mean, it probably wasn't the same in the early days of the film industry, but it's certainly become part of that now. But, you know, the likes of, you know, the directors and the producers and the creators and, you know, those are the people that I believe should be um, the main focus in terms of awareness and praise and sometimes I feel that there are many people within the games industry that you know crave praise of working with a game but are not necessarily behind the game and I just wish more developers got more visibility on that side so that frustrates me it, and other things that do frustrate me as well is if we take the games that I work with at Bandai Namco on one side we could have what's called AAA video games which are, you know, big games, big licenses, big IPs, big numbers, um, and potentially big audiences. But then on, on this side, you might have some really incredible technology behind something which could be perceived and identified as an independent game in a sense that the team might not be three to 500 people, but it might be 15 people. But actually, that game is as good as any blockbuster movie out there, but might, might not have the opportunity to have the same amount of visibility as said big game. So that frustrates me a little bit because I'd sometimes it's, it's like when you see an independent movie or it's a little bit like when people say you must watch this show on Netflix. 
and you know you feel like you're the first person that's seen it and then suddenly lots of people watch it and you kind of feel like you're responsible for that um yeah but you're not it's just obviously discoverability and you know word of mouth but what annoys me is i think there's a huge amount of focus on particular franchises and games which is what a franchise delivers of course but i just wish there was more I just wish there was more love and more awareness given to those real, real stars out there that are kind of hidden or might not have the awareness that they deserve because of so, many, because of multiple reasons. Sure. I mean, I've not said the F word yet, and I guess the F word in this context is probably Fortnite, right? So well, <laughs> when you look at Fortnite as yeah. a... As, as a force, if you like. I mean, we're talking right now in week eight of UK lockdown and we've seen in the news that people did a gig in Fortnite. Um, so, and and uh, like, was it eight, 10 million people showed up? So it's, it's a force of nature on its own. I yeah. mean, in terms of a wider business, I suppose video games could mean one thing to one person and a completely different thing to a different person. How, how wide is the industry? What what do you think counts? How, so how wide is the industry in terms of like, well, I mean, I mean, it, I mean, if you take Fortnite, which I think is incredible. And the, the, the best thing about Fortnite is the fact that, you know, it started off as a, well, it is a free to play, free to access game that's become part of pop culture. Yeah. And now it's at a point where they've got so many millions of people um, playing Fortnite, whether they're still playing for free, whether they're um, investing in new skins or new avatars or whatever. But it's now become a, it's now become a huge playground for the world whether you're fighting within that world or whether you're just going to view a trailer for a new Disney movie on a big screen that's an event that you turn up to or the big DJ set that recently happened. The key thing about Fortnite is, is the social media and, the, and the, the talking because people are talking about it all the time. You know, the, the older kids that are playing it are talking about it in their schools you know, it's it's super cool. It's super trendy. It's something brilliant. And but that sits within a certain demographic. And you know, I'm a 42 year old man, and I play Fortnite, and because I think it's brilliant. Yeah. I think it, the design is incredible. The playability is is brilliant. I've started to get pretty decent. A. I don't worry about all the dances or the, all the emotes and stuff. What you know, what I play it for is just a brilliant third-person action game you can jump into and jump out of quite easily. But you can tell the work and investment that's gone into it to keep evolving that product and making it better and freshening it every single day. It never feels old, Fortnite. It always feels like, you know, that, there, that, that there's a lot of time spent on it. But then you take a, a title like a six-hour narrative adventure like you know you know um the dark pictures man of medan which we 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 launched um which was from supermassive um games who worked on until dawn and you take something like that that's a more cinematic horror event that's aimed at the kind of 18 to 34 year old that person that wants a six hour 
movie-like experience and doesn't have time to play something as epic as The Witcher 3 or GTA which or Skyrim, which takes anything from 60 to 100 hours. The, the great thing about games like, like, you know, like films in that sense is there is something out there for everybody um, and something that taps into all, all those different generations and demographics. And even retro games are bigger now than they've ever been with people rediscovering games from the 80s or from like Pac-Man, for example, and, you know, reliving that nostalgia of, you know, having the arcade machines that they could they couldn't have in the 80s. They're buying now or people that weren't born in the 80s or weren't born in the 70s that see this kind of thing and think, well, wow, that's super cool and buying into that. So now I think the games have become so widespread, even from, you know, from somebody that doesn't play games, but actually does play Candy Crush every day on the train to work, <laughs> you know. Games are played by everyone, even those that say they don't play games. I have an ongoing debate with my beautiful wife. So we've we've already established before we started recording that I've got an eight-year-old son, you've got a nine-year-old son. And we got my eight-year-old boy. He played with my old PlayStation 4 for a bit. He's just picked up a Switch in the last year, year and a half. And he's he, he likes it. And I said to my beautiful wife, game players... You can look down your nose at them, but essentially they're problem solvers. So so playing games is often identifying a solution to a problem. And actually, there's kind of a life skill, a transferable skill that will help little boys and little girls as they go up if they are gamers. My beautiful wife always reminds me that as now my son almost exclusively plays in the family Mario Kart tournaments in the uh he plays with his WWE wrestling and FIFA football. Help me win the argument, Lee. Do you think they're an informative and important part of growing up? Absolutely. I you know everything should be taken in in um small sessions you know the one thing i'll always do especially having children is that you know games are not bad you know as long as you're playing the games that are age appropriate and the times that you spend on games like anything you know times watching you know if you're watching films and you're watching three films back to back that's not going to be great for any anyone to be you know sitting there consuming so much visual entertainment on screen but you know, games can be really beneficial for so many people. I'm an ambassador for Special Effect, which is a really important charity within our games industry. And what Special Effect do, and I've sort of worked with them, um, you know, as an ambassador for very much since the beginning, they they are a prime example of the benefits of video games in the sense that if you're if you have a disability. Um, whatever that disability might be um, and you're unable to let's say interact with your friends or your family in the same way that you could do before said disability or you know or even if you were born with a disability and you want to interact with your friends in a certain way the great thing about video games is you can do that the great thing about interactive entertainment and technology is that gives you the opportunity to experience what your friends experience online, play with them. They work on adaptive control um, systems and methods to allow people with all sorts of disabilities to be able to control the game, even with your chin, with your elbow, with any parts of your body. 
and this allows everybody to feel part of the same the same experience i've worked in the past with i remember working on a wacky races game like you know 17 18 years ago and i was contacted by a lady whose uh, daughter had a hand um she had she was blind in one eye and um she actually used uh, wacky races as a game to help her daughter's hand-eye coordination and her left and right and she actually wrote a letter to say how amazing it was this game and i you know sent some nice fun things out to say that's great really happy to hear this news so games have a real benefit you know from especially with the youngsters and coding now being you know back is part of the curriculum and kids understanding mm. coding and you know it's an, it's important especially as we're especially as the world has turned into a technologically driven world, whether you want a job at Apple or Spotify or Shazam or a video games company, you know, technology is really important to, to understand. And games are a major part of that. So, yeah, games as a pastime, great. Games as a kind of educational um, side of things, brilliant. I go to schools and do talks with uh, kids year seven and eight talking to them about the history of Bandai Namco Entertainment, which has been around since the 50s. I talked through the history of Pac-Man, which was started in, obviously, May 1980, mm. and how that character became, you know, something, well, the biggest character in video games. And then the kids are super inspired, not just in terms of their interest in video games, but the fact that they have visions in their head of creating characters and creating worlds, and now they're more interested in the environment and things like that. So they can utilize that and bring that those important interests into their games um, interest. So some of the products, some of the presentations I've seen for the kids on their own game ideas and their own character ideas have been based around saving the planet, you know, or looking after animals and things like this. So I think it's really important that, you know, games like any form of entertainment, even music, are you know consumed respectfully consumed in the right time and the right for the right ages but they can be hugely beneficial hugely beneficial not just for kids learning but for people with disabilities and um also helping problem solving as you said um let's drill this down to today let's look at bandai namco in a typical year how many games are you responsible for marketing it's a lot. Um, it's a lot. Um, I would say a year it will be anything from maybe 10 to 20 games. Wow. And be honest, is it like having children? Have you got your favourites? Are there different challenges with different ones? How does it work, Lee? Are there different 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 problems you're looking for solutions for with different ones yeah i mean we we definitely release more games than most companies for sure because we have our own titles that are are home developed that we make in our internal studios in japan mm. we have our own games that we might be making from external studios more western studios and then we have our third party titles which ultimately we're responsible for releasing so you know, we've been working with CD Projekt Red for years and, you know, we sort of work very closely on the, the Witcher series and now Cyberpunk. And, you know, we're responsible for that, that those products is exactly as we would be responsible for our own group products at home developed. Mm. 
Yeah. Now, the, 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 the biggest challenge is always that you're dealing with so many different types of games. Mm. So on one side, you'll have, you know, a very strong catalogue of anime titles from Dragon Ball to One Piece to My Hero. And then on the other side, you'll have a great kids lineup from a distributor of things like Paw Patrol and Jumanji. Mm. And then you might have these bigger sort of more core titles like Dark Souls and you know, Project Cars and, you know, Cyberpunk and The Witcher. So you're personally, you're always going to have the games that you're most excited about playing, of course. And, you know, you're lucky to work within the company that that, that makes them, distributes them and publishes them. So you get to do that. Um, the key thing is to, to understand, you know, who you're targeting the product to. And there is a bit of juggling, in the sense that one moment you're working on this really iconic racing game and the next minute you're working on a sort of hardcore RPG. Mm. But within any business, you have your, let's say your, these are what we're releasing this year. These are titles in terms of, you know, budget perspective, you know, because you might have one game that's going to forecast to sell whatever huge numbers might have one that's that's dedicated to a very core fan base or fans like uh, like digimon for example so the key thing about how the company is working with the right people understanding your um fan base understanding your community one of the first things i did in in my job obviously back in 1997 as customer services was i was helping them so if they were stuck on one of our products, I was kind of like their resident game master as well. And back then the internet hadn't been around for very long and there weren't all of the big sites and there certainly wasn't social media then. So you had to kind of find this one-off website that had guides on there and I'd print them out on paper and post them to them. If you look now, and but they were very thankful, and that's one customer and there might be 20 customers a week. But if you look now on social media, you've got millions of customers millions of fans millions of people that respect you the games that you work on and they want to talk to you about them all the time so one of the things that i've worked on over the last almost 20 years is building those social media platforms to make sure that we're we're doing that effectively and yeah. if people need help with games or they need to ask a question or they need to um, know what's when when is this game coming or when when is that or even if they have ideas for games you know we're there to do that and that's something as a business we're very kind of proud of sort of building but yeah so, it's, it's a challenge for sure to are, manage are so the, many titles are the strategies similar so it's about building the communities around a title but perhaps the the tactics and the channels different or do you start with a blank piece of paper every time are you always being thinking channel agnostic are you always thinking social first how do you approach a marketing challenge like these lee every every title is different every title strategy is built from the ground up so we work very closely with our us our central team in, in leon and our team in japan to build our let's say our strategy on said product it because you've got to remember it could be a new ip with something like little nightmares which was a new ip we created which nobody knows about um or nobody knew about but we knew we were developing something special so in that sense you have to build from the ground up and create that 
awareness and create that intrigue and try and keep those people involved with your uh, journey, your development journey. And then obviously, you know, make sure that they're understanding exactly what's coming up. Um, you're very open with them. But then also, you know, it always comes, you know, it comes down to marketing at the end when you're investing money in media to kind of branch out. But then you might work on an existing IP or an existing franchise or an existing property like Paw Patrol, which has an audience of, you know, these kids that just love this incredible franchise. So we would be looking to target the parents and say, hey, yeah. there's a great game here based on Paw Patrol. And, we, you know, we wouldn't be releasing it at full price. It would be, you know, it would be a you know, mid-price title. We'd make sure we're working with the right retailers like supermarkets and, you know, the Tesco's and Sainsbury's and everything of the world. So each title has its own strategy, its own plan, a lot of brainstorming, a lot of working to identify you know who would who would really enjoy this and that's where it comes back to the earlier question about the frustrations because sometimes you work on things that are really super special and completely new but they're too they might be just too clever and might just be too special and might just be too much of a explanation to build up when you don't have a lot of marketing money let's say when you're looking at competitors, Lee, do you, A, first of all, do you look at competitors? And let's say with the poor patrol example, are you talking to, to Nickelodeon? Are you, are you looking at where else that audience are consuming their media, whether that be the parents or, or the kids directly? Or do you think one can become too distracted by competitors? Where, where do you stand on that? We are, in, in relation to competitors, the only the only time we really look at competitors is when we look at their titles and we see how their titles are performing. We don't really we're not really competing with anybody else in the industry. Now we're very different to other games companies in that sense because Bandai Namco is an entertainment company as a whole. Because we don't just make games, we mm. we have you know arcades, amusement centres, theme parks, toy business. We're pretty much like the Disney of Japan in that yeah. sense. So because we're very much an entertainment company as a whole, we're very different to, let's say, a Ubisoft or an Activision or an EA, which are games companies. So they're very much reliant on the video games business. We're very much reliant on, you know, what we do. So we don't normally, let's say, we're not worried about competitors in that sense. We're ob we obviously track competitors and what they're doing and how much are they spending and you know when are they coming out we don't want to be releasing the same day as maybe a big title when we're releasing something else um of course we have to and that's yeah. important that's important for any business when you've got other people's make other people out there making games and you know publishing games and selling games so it's important to know but then we have you know some of our competitors we work with yeah. So, you know, for example, you know, EA, we distribute for them in some of the southern territories. Um, so, you know, FIFA is important to Bandai Namco as, as, as a business. Um, and, and like I say, you know, with other, other competitors they, we might be working with as well. So we don't really worry too much about competitors because as long as the industry is doing well, then that's important to all of our businesses. 
obviously with licenses like Paw Patrol and, you know, Ben 10, and we work very, very closely with the IP holders, whether it's uh, Cartoon Network or whoever, to to utilise the um, the relationship as much as possible. So we'll advertise on, you know, TV advertise on their channels and things like that. So, you know, relationships are, are really important in that sense. But we're not really phased by anyone else out there in that sense. But if we've got a big title that's projected to sell, you know, millions and it sits there in that AAA kind of category, we'll obviously look at what other titles in those blockbuster entertainment launches are doing or have done and maybe we'll spin that on his head and do it differently i want to ask a question on reputation management it's sort of maybe i've just stopped reading the the daily outrage or wherever one can read these things but it used to be in some way video games were responsible for most of the world's ills do you know what i mean whether it be you know gun crime here stuff like that reputation how do you look after brands without kind of, yeah, I suppose, rolling your eyes at, at those people? And, and yeah, how do you look after and ensure that the games that you're marketing are, are being marketed in a responsible way? Um, you, you have to be responsible in everything you're dealing with, especially when you're working in entertainment. And that's why, you know, when you're marketing games or when you're talking about games, you're doing it to the right audiences and the right age demographics and, um, the right event space, for example. Um, Bandai Namco are lucky in the sense that we're a very family company in the sense that, you know, you know, CSR is important to us. Our games are very family-friendly, for obviously, for all ages. Mm. Uh, but we're very focused on specific titles that are not necessarily offensive in any way. So we're quite lucky where we're very open and and we communicate effectively with our community on all of our titles. So we don't, we don't run into any sort of problems personally. I think, I think our reputation as a company has always been very good because of the kind of games that we work on and the kind, and the kind of response that we're, that, that we give to the community and to customers. We're very approachable. We talk to people on a day to day basis. I mean, if you look at, project cars and how that was developed initially before bandai namco was involved it was a game for built by the community it was you know by races for races by races and it was all about we're going to make this game but rather than just making a game like forza or a great game like grand turismo we want to make this with you so you tell us what you want to see in the game and we'll make it and that's how it got kind of built so we kind of work very closely with the community now to understand what it is that they want. And we're not just making what we want. Um, but reputation management, of course, is important to us because, like I say, we're a Japanese company. Um, a lot of our IPs are really important. Um, they're very response. You know, we're very responsible towards families. And like I said about the work doing schools um, and we don't really have any of that to worry about, to be honest. So, third section of our interview every week on Rocket Fuel is where we we ask our guest for some actionable insights, some takeaways, some things that we can take into our worlds of marketing, media, tech, anything that affects youth culture, and actually apply 
apply them to our day-to-day working lives. So I'm still here with Lee Curtin. He's still marketing and PR director at Bandai Namco UK and Ireland. And I want to get under the skin of and find out Lee's rocket fuel. Lee, big open question, first of all. What do you know about young audiences? Wow, what a question. Um, <laughs> young audience, I mean, young audiences are driven by potentially different cultures to what we were driven to, but driven by in the sense, especially with social media as it is today. So, you know, they're very much trendsetters of their own their own worlds today. And I think, yeah, for young audiences, I think, in a world that's driven by media and social media and not knowing what is right and what is wrong and what is true and what is false, I think it's very much important to be very honest to, to not just to younger people, but to people in general. And the only way that you can be honest and get them to believe you're honest in what you do and what you're working for and, you know, what you what you back is to have that relationship with them. So social media can be a complete enemy to the world. And I do believe it, 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 it is in some cases and the media, if we take the media in general, it's all clickbait and that clickbait has a major effect on not just the younger people today, but, but people, you know, middle-aged people and, you know, older people today because they're just consumed by social media and I think when you, especially when you're working at a company like I do in the sense that the key thing is to just be honest with everything you do, but get that respect and that belief in your honesty rather than just saying it. So I think the key thing is not to not to throw around all of these marketing buzzwords and various things that people have heard time and time and time again and just be very open and honest and have that relationship with with the young people as much as possible. That's why I enjoy going to the schools, going to the universities and speaking to people and answering questions because I think it's really important that, especially in an industry that we are, that we do that. I'm not sure if that happens a lot in the film world. And the film world's had its, the film world's had its a load of rocky times over the last couple of years. But I think within the games industry, I think it's very important, especially as a creative industry, is to be very open and honest to the younger audiences but also make them feel as if the industry is approachable and that they have an opportunity to one day working it and when i'm talking to schools i do talk about careers and one of the things that shocks them is i list all of the careers that are potentially um accessible for them in the future and their their eyes open up because it might be that they're flooding accounts people or they're great at languages or they're great at certain things, but there's a job for everybody within the video games industry and within the entertainment industry. And I think there's always been that fear, especially when I was a kid, when you see games, you just thought, Oh my God, how, how is this possible? How, how is this even made? You, you just thought they come out of thin air and to ever think that you could actually work within that industry or be responsible or have some input into that game and be part of it was always um, a dream which no one really in the 90s probably could get into at the time. But now it's a very, very accessible industry 
with new roles, community management, social media, um, localization, events. I mean, you know, huge events teams and things like that. And um, I think the gatherings and events that I go to where I meet a lot of young people as well, um, they just want to be identified and they want to have a relationship with you and talk to you about things where I think back in the day, people would have felt scared or would have thought that was completely impossible. Lee, which brands, when they're engaging with youth audiences, which brands get it right? Which brands get it wrong? You don't have to name names if you don't want to. You could uh, you could point at some common pitfalls. But is there any commonality be- behind those that don't reach youth audiences effectively and those that do? I think Lego does an incredible job. Um, oh. I've always respected Lego, just in terms mm. of, you know, as a kid, I used to just find Lego extremely boring and it's it was just bricks. Now, now Lego is everywhere and they've managed to apply it to so many licenses now that it's just become something that was once focused primarily on children. And is now something that everybody is involved with in some way, shape or form, whether it's a collector's market or the elderly market. Um I've seen a huge resurgence in board games, which is brilliant. You know, seeing companies like winning moves with monopolies and, you know, not just since lockdown, but just in general. Um, but I do think a lot of the, the, the kids companies have done really well. And obviously the respect I have for Epic with what they've done with Fortnite is pretty amazing. I mean, there are so many great brands out there, of course. Um but um, those are a few things kind of a bit closer to home um, to what I work on that I kind of respect. But I think Lego is yeah. one, one of those really key sort of brands that really sticks out for me that I just think they've done such an incredible job with. And Lee, just to conclude, um, I'm really keen that our audience of media marketing tech people walk away with kind of a one key takeaway from you if you were to either distill this conversation down to one key takeaway or offer a nugget that we've not covered what would that one takeaway be so i mean the the key thing is you have to be interested and be passionate about what you do i mean it's funny I've, i've i've had sort of linkedin recommendations over the years from some really incredible people that i've worked with over the last 20 odd years and the word that they've always used to describe me a lot is it's very passionate person. And I think that you have to be incredibly passionate about what you're doing and very honest and open um, as much as you possibly can, can be within the corporate space as well, um, productively. Um, but it, I think it's just very important to be, um, to be honest and open and be passionate about everything you do. And to get to make sure that, especially when you're talking to the younger audiences, whether it's in the schools or youth marketing, to for them to be the same way, you have to be, a, be you have to go back to the, the the old school mentality of get up early, get dressed, be ready, and be passionate about what you're going to do, and take it on, and be prepared to put in the hard work. What worries me sometimes is I do meet people that don't have that mindset. And that could be the result of many things. Um, But unless you've got those things, you'll never succeed. Because how can you? So you have to be 
honest and passionate and hardworking. And it doesn't matter, you know, how many degrees you've got and how, you know, how, how clever you think you are or how popular you are in your social media circle. That doesn't make any difference because that's all people that you don't know anyway. What what is important is the people you do know and the people you do work with and how they see you and how you're regarded within that that area. And that's the really important thing is to focus on the reality, not the digital reality. <laughs> um, Lee, do you understand well, what I mean? I completely understand what you mean. I think there is a lot of emphasis that people put on their on their let's use a slightly deliberately inflated term people that put far too much emphasis on their own quote-unquote personal brand and perhaps yeah. not enough emphasis on what they're like when they're in a meeting or when they're in the room do you know what 100%. i mean they put i always say it's not what you're perceived as online to people that don't work with you or don't know you on a day-to-day basis they just see what you post but the people that do work with you and the people you do know they're the most important people and you know not everybody's a public figure you know, there are pe- there are millions of people out there doing jobs where they're not on social media and they are just living their direct lives with people. And it's very important to remember that that is the least important part of your life, what your social media platform says about you. What's really important is you building your career, you working hard, you earning your money and you buying your first house and yeah. you bringing up your family. And, you know... Those those are the most important things out there, which will be dis- difficult for some to hear, but it's true. Lee, if you would like anybody to get in touch with you, uh, where can they find you, whether that be on social media or anywhere else? And where can people find out more um, about Bandai Namco? Well, I think, yeah, I, I mean, and after saying that, I was going to just say, well, you can find me on Twitter. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, it's be- better better that way. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I talk a lot of work stuff on Twitter and, you know, a, a lot of uh, a lot of stuff that, that um, is coming up and various, you know, chats about video games and industry as a whole. So I'm, I'm on Twitter, which is at Lee Ari Gold. That's at Lee, L-E-E-A-R-I-G-O-L-D. Nice one. Um, Lee, thank you so much for being this week's guest. I really appreciate it. No, thanks. It's great to chat. And hopefully um, the words that spewed out of my mouth were okay. So that was Lee. A fascinating discussion. I hope you agree. I was particularly enamoured with the um, chat that we were having about the way that the business is structured and the way that Lee has kind of multiple revenue streams, those that are licensed, those that are created. I hope that was a good listen for you. Make sure you tune into next week's Rocket Fuel. And like I say, if you think somebody could benefit from having a listen to this, then um, do share it with them and come back for next week's Rocket Fuel. This is a Rocket Audio production.